From the studios of 2SER, this is Think Health. I'm Daniel Butler. Amyl nitride, also known as poppers, has been an important part of gay culture for decades. It's a liquid, comes in a small bottle, and when inhaled, gives the user a rush, a moment of euphoria. It's often seen on club dance floors, but more importantly, is used as a sex aid, most commonly for gay men. You're supposed to have a prescription for it, but in reality, amyl is sold over the counter every day, as a cleaner of sorts, for leather or videotapes. But since the risks associated with amyl are so low, nobody really cared. Until now. The Therapeutic Goods Administration, the body that regulates which medical devices and drugs are allowed into the country, has proposed reclassifying amyl, from a Schedule 4 to a Schedule 9, the same as MDMA and heroin. The TGA is yet to make its final decision, but already people are angry, and with its strong ties to the gay community, some are questioning whether the move to ban AML is an act of discrimination. So my name is uh, Dr. Daniel Demand. I'm a lecturer at UTS in the discipline of public health, and I research, or my research is mostly in sexuality and substance use in LGBT communities and other minority groups. A warning, we'll be talking sex and drugs a lot in this episode. Some parents might want to decide if this one's suitable for their kids. So the way Poppas works is... It's mostly a relaxant, so it helps you to relax, it relaxes your muscles, and particularly for quite a few gay and bisexual men, that is something very important when they have anal intercourse. It makes it uh, less harmful, the anal intercourse for them, in the sense as it is less painful for them, they're more likely to enjoy it, and I think that can be defined as having more fun in the bed and can be defined as being beneficial and therapeutic for those people. Because we do know that those people who have the most problems with having good and enjoyable anal intercourse are those who have also a problem with their identity because they are the ones who are cramping up when they're having sex because they always have this thing in their head, it's, oh my God, this is wrong. And it helps them the most. So I think this can be defined as being therapeutic and not being abusive behavior. So what kind of history do queer people have with uh, poppers, with amyl nitrites? Well, the first time it came up was roughly about like the 40s and the 50s where people realized that you not only can use it for certain heart conditions, but you can also use it just to relax a bit, which may help you actually to engage in sexuality, makes you a bit less anxious about sexuality. And simply because LGBT people are more likely to be anxious about their own sexuality, they were also more likely than to use it than straight people and that particularly gay and bisexual men. But it was uh, also used uh, in in the straight community. It has always been used in the straight community, and until now it has also been used. But when we look at the difference in between how many people take a drugs, LGBT people versus um, everyone else, and we look at 
for example, smoking rates, we know that LGBT people are more likely to smoke. But the difference is not that extreme. When we take a look at poppers, then we talk about a difference that is like 20 or 30 fold. Uh, against the straight yeah. community, the, the so, levels are that much higher. So they are so much higher. And when you, you also have a look at when you actually talk to people about poppers, just go out on the street and ask straight people about um, have they ever used poppers. About half of them don't even know what you're talking about. Go into any random gay bar, talk about to any gay person. And even if they have never used it, everyone knows what poppers or amulets. is. Do we ask about amyl use in, in drug surveys? Uh, yes, yeah, so I always ask about the use of poppers, but for example, there's also the Global Drug Survey that also asks about poppers, which mm-hmm. is the largest uh, substance use survey in the world. Mm-hmm. And also normal household surveys usually ask about the use of poppers as well. Mm-hmm. And so we have quite a lot of data and quite reliable data that shows that poppers use among gay and bisexual men is on a high level, even though it is going down slowly so the younger people are the less likely at the moment they are to use poppers so that is something we have seen over the past 20 years for any substance so we also see that when we talk about poppers but on a regular basis we can say that in every year about 100 to 120,000 gay and bisexual men in Australia use poppers at least once a year. I wonder if there is nominally less uh, dangerous let's say from using amyl why do we ask about its use? Well, <clears throat> because we can't really say how dangerous a drug is. So we generally have like general idea. For example, we know that alcohol is more dangerous when it comes to the outcomes than poppers. We know that heroin is more dangerous than poppers. But it always depends on the physical effect it has on the person. Generally, poppers is a fairly safe drug. Um, it doesn't have a physical dependence. We know that it has very limited impact on a person's social life or physical health because even the physical uh, side effects or the unwanted things are very minimal. Why then do you think we're seeing this move now by the TGA to reschedule it from a, from a Schedule 4 to a Schedule 9, uh, the same as heroin, same as MDMA, essentially criminalizing it? Why do you think we might be seeing that move I literally have no idea why people... Because, like, poppers exists for a 100 years now, and everyone knows it's using, everyone knows that you can quite easily get it in Australia, that it's sort of illegal, but sort of legal, depending on how you're looking at it, how you're phrasing it when you're buying it. And I have no idea. Maybe it's just someone was bored, and then they said, okay, let's do that. But we also saw in the last couple of years a bit of research coming up that shows that poppers that is now on the market is considerably less safe than the poppers that was on the market 10 years ago. So we see that the um, damaging effects it has, particularly on anything that is related to eyes so, uh on your retina, is actually quite higher now. And we have quite a lot of cases where it actually led to a significant uh, visual impairment, also permanent visual impairment. Mm-hmm. And that is related to a change in the active ingredient in poppers that is different now than it used to be 10 years ago. And that is something that actually is dangerous and worth looking at, but it could be solved in a different way than rather banning all poppers, only having a look and banning those substances that are clearly shown to have a higher risk profile than the ones we had 10 years ago. Is it, is it really a significant number of those ophthalmological issues that we've been coming up? Now, they were some of the issues cited in the report by the TGA. Um, uh, some international examples of uh, essentially eye damage from, um, mm. I think it was long-term use. Uh, but do they really warrant such a move? 
Well, that always depends on the way you're looking at it. We don't know much about that. So everything we have are just case studies. So it's often doctors uh, describing cases they are seeing. And from what we know from the doctors is that they're seeing those cases now on a more regular basis. 10, 15 years ago, those cases were extremely rare, once a year, twice a year. But now we do see quite a few dozen of those cases in Australia every year. And when you have a look at that, well, significant, probably when you compare two cases 10 years ago to uh, 40 cases now a year. So that is a significant increase. If it is such a bad thing compared to how many people actually are using it, then that's a completely different question compared to the impact alcohol or tobacco has, it is still not a big problem. Did you say that you actually wrote a submission to the TGA? So yeah, I wrote a submission together with a couple of colleagues to say that we do not support this ban because we think that the um, risks of banning the substance is actually much higher than the benefits it will have for the community. What kind of risks could we see? Well, first of all, I don't really understand why they say that it, the like one of the arguments they actually are using, say that using poppers for sexual pleasure is an abuse. But I don't think that actually having fun while having sex can be classified as something as an abuse because particularly a lot of gay and bisexual men, they do have problems with uh, enjoying their sexuality. And when something helps them enjoying their sexuality at minimal to no risk, I don't understand why you can classify that as abuse. So the TGA has the definition of something being legitimate, beneficial, and therapeutic. And I think in quite a lot of cases, poppers can actually be defined as being beneficial and therapeutic for those people to be able to actually enjoy their sexuality in a way they may not be able without it. Um, The report itself acknowledges that this has a historical and continuing association with the uh, queer community. Where was the consultation with that community Uh, It seems to be completely lacking. There's really no positive language whatsoever. Uh, And as as you tell it, there's, there's plenty of positive benefits. Where was that voice contributing to the report? Well, I think that's not really how the TGA works. So the TGA looks mostly at the uh, negative effects of a substance rather than the positive ones and then asks for community consultation. So they make some sort of like preliminary decision on something, and that's what they did when they proposed to put it from Schedule 4 to Schedule 9, and then they asked for submission. And those submissions that could be handed in were from uh, medical associations, uh, public health professionals, LGBT organizations, but also from individuals who can then... Uh, voice their concerns. And as far as I know, there was a enormously high number of submissions when it came to this particular topic compared to the general amount of um, submissions they have. So the TGA will have a look at all of those submissions and will also probably then talk more to those community experts who actually work in the field for a very long time. And maybe they're going to change their plans. Maybe they're going to adapt their plans a little bit more in the way of banning only certain types of amyl nitrates compared to other ones. But there is a community consultation going on, just not in the sense of this community consultation taking place prior, but sort of like in the middle of the process. So that's it's a preliminary decision. It's not the final decision to be made mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So that's why the consultation took place now. And based on the consultation and the arguments that were brought over, they will rediscuss that. And either they're sticking with it and then they will make a final decision on it, which will then criminalize uh, the use as well as actually just having poppers with you or they will make a different decision and amending their initial proposal.
Mm. Uh, so uh, possession could be criminalized as well. So every uh, possession of a cr- uh, Schedule 9 drug is a crime. And considering the number we just talked about of between 100 and 140,000 people, that's a lot of criminals. <laughs> yeah. For what was the day before innocuous. So yeah, and me working in the field and actually do talking to quite a few people who are gay and who are using poppers, I know that people are stocking up at the moment. So they are going and ordering uh, dozens of bottles and store them in their freezer to stock up just in case they actually are going through with it. So, Is there any danger in that? Uh, there is no real danger in it except the face that when you actually have it constantly there and such a large amount, you may be just more likely to use it. But otherwise, there's not much of a danger there because poppers will not go bad. It's not cheese, so. Even that, though, like uh, having it there, being more likely to use it, the assumption there is that that there might be an uptick in in the negative effects. Well, the more you use a drug, the more likely it is that the um, negative impacts or the negative side effects of a drug will actually occur. Mm. I'm actually not worried about those who are stocking up. I'm worried about those who use it on a regular basis but actually are running out because there is like a substitution risk of them actually using something, uh, a different drug, that may be more likely to be um, to get your hands on. Mm-hmm. So that might be people having... Um, using more alcohol to relax because alcohol is also a downer, it's also relaxant. Or people may even use other illicit drugs because they might be easier to come by compared to poppers. Which I imagine could have much greater effects. So yeah, the negative impact of a drug such as uh, crystal meth or anything else is quite dramatically higher. The reason I believe is it is not worthwhile dealing with poppers. So nobody is going to when it is actually criminalized, it's going to be unbelievably hard to get your hands on poppers because the effects poppers has only a couple of seconds to maybe a minute. That's the maximum high you can get out of poppers. It's not worthwhile for a lot of dealers to deal with that, so it will be much harder to get compared to other illicit drugs where you can make much more money with it, where people can actually have a higher or longer high from it. So I feel that there is this substitution risk. Given the historical and continuing use of animal by gay people, do you think there's a case to be made that this is discriminatory? Well, if you look because it is disproportionately affecting a minority community from th- from that sense, it is discriminatory. But I do not think that the TGA actually did something purposefully discriminatory for anyone. Mm-hmm. So I do think that people who are in the TGA and people who are fighting drug use are actually doing that from the good of their heart and that they actually do want to do something that is good for the people. And they may even think that doing something that affects a minority community more than other communities, that maybe that actually is taking also care of the disparities in health in between those groups. But in the end, it will actually come down as being discriminatory. Mm. I had a talk In a purely technical sense. Yeah, in a purely technical sense. I had a funny talk with a sexual health doctor from Sydney a, a couple of weeks ago on that topic, and he said, you know, if straight people would use poppers in the same way as gay people, you would get it subsidized by the government at every 7-Eleven. And I think that actually there is like a truth to that. Just to talk a little bit more generally now, I'm really interested in what you were saying before about some of the reasons why we see increased drug use in, in queer communities. As you said, we've seen some of the discriminations of, of past years slowly drift away, but these uh, uses are still there. 
what are some of the reasons that you're seeing for that? Mm. Well, any kind of drug use is also a cultural and social phenomenon. So when you are born into a family in which alcohol is used on a very regular basis, you are more likely to use alcohol yourself. The same thing happens in queer communities as well, because queer communities are some sort of family. They're a part of your socialization process, and they're really important. It's not just a bar. It's like a safe space for you. And then the substance use is sort of like trickling down, because it's a part of the socialization. You see that uh, LGBT people are more likely to smoke. They're more likely to, to acquit. They're more likely to drink than as a part of your socialization, you're also more likely to drink, you're also more likely to smoke, and you're also more likely to smoke weed. So that's like one part of how it works. And the other part is you're copying your behavior because you want to be part of a community, you want to be accepted as a part of a community, and then you're copying the behavior of other people within that community. And I think that is a part of that as well. So then do we need to be concerned about those increased levels of, of drug use? Well, I generally think that substance use is often turned into a huge problem. But when we actually look at the numbers, we can see that more and more people take substances on a controlled level. And what we can also see is young people are not taking much substances, particularly the illicit substances. So the young generation we have now is more likely to abstain from alcohol and other drug use than any generation we have seen since we actually are collecting data on a broad national level. Whether that's in Australia or in Europe or in the US or Canada, we can see that in all Eurocentric countries going on at the moment. So every time someone says it's going to it's a massive problem, it's worse than it has ever been before, it's simply a lie. That's it's just not true. When we look at the numbers, young people are less and less likely to take substances and less and less likely to take substances at a so called harmful level. And that's across sexuality lines as well. And that is across all groups. The disparities are there still, but we can see that across all groups of our society. Whether we talk about indigenous people, LGBT people, queer people, we can see that in across all groups at the moment, in Australia and in other countries as well. So it's sort of like turning a mouse into an elephant. The problem is just not as strong as people think that it is. What then do you think would be a more mature way of dealing with uh, amyl nitrites? What we actually need is to educate people on how to use it and educate people on some of the dangerous side effects. So, for example, taking um, poppers when you have a heart condition, um, taking poppers when you take Viagra at the same time, which can, in combination, actually do lead to death as well. So educating people based on that. But it's very hard to educate people if something is illegal, particularly when it is sold in sex shops. It is, they can't necessarily tell people how to use it in a safe way because they are not, because it's not advertised as a substance. It's advertised as leather cleaner or some other ridiculous thing. So, and you can't tell people how to inhale a leather cleaner in a safe way because that is actually encouraging taking a substance in a way that is illegal. So we have to make sure that we can actually talk to people on that. We can make sure that the ingredients we use in poppers are the safest. And I think those are the ways we can deal with that. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's room for more positive attitudes towards certain drug taking and, and drug taking within a community such as a queer community? Well, we have to re- have a look and realize that most people take drugs because they want to be happy. So. People don't take drugs because they have problems. That is very rare. 
the majority of people they smoke weed because they want to have a good night they also and that is the same for even like the uh, so-called very hard drugs including methamphetamine a lot of the people they take them because they want to get high because they want to have a great night and I think as a society we have to accept that I know that it's very hard for a lot of people to accept that particularly in the way we are socialized that any kind of drug use is bad but a lot of the drug use is just not as bad as people think it is and once we actually have a mature debate on that, we can help those people who are truly dependent on a drug and use it in a way that actually does affect their life. Because even though talking about drug as nice as I usually do, there are quite a lot of people who have problems based on their drug use, including being, a, uh, being dependent on them, as well as them actually having a significant negative impact on their physical and social life. Mm-hmm. And once we can actually concentrate on those people and truly helping them, I think that is like the debate and that is where we have to move to. Criminalizing it doesn't help anyone. Thanks for listening to Think Health. This show is supported by the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER. It's recorded at the studios of 2SER, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Thanks to Daniel Dumont. If you want more information about the show, head to 2SCR.com forward slash thinkhealth. I'm Daniel Butler. Till next time.